The Springboks won the 2007 Rugby World Cup, but it was far from being a smooth ride. In this video, you are going to get a front row seat to a retrospective review. I'll give you my thoughts on what went down, and you'll also hear directly from some of the Springboks that were there. Let's get started. Four years prior, South Africa were dumped out of the Rugby World Cup in the quarterfinals. It was our worst performance. There had also been humiliating defeats to England and New Zealand along the way. But then things changed. Brian van Rooyen became the new president of SAFU, and in the ensuing years, SAFU would become SARU and SA Rugby because SARU would look after amateur rugby and the running of the sport, whereas SA Rugby was the commercial arm, and in the years to follow, SA Rugby and SARU would be used interchangeably. Anyway, Jake White was brought in to replace Rudolf Strauli, but South African rugby probably at its lowest ebb after that World Cup disaster, not to mention the scandal around Kamp Staldraat. White appointed John Smith as his captain early on. He also lured Osturant and Percy Montgomery back to the Springboks. They would provide necessary experience as White was building quite a young team in 2004 at that stage. The idea was that those players would be taken all the way to 07 and by the time they got there they would all have similar experience to Durant and Montgomery, not in 07 but the experience that Durant and Montgomery had in 04 at that stage. The impact was immediate. South Africa completed a good 2-0 series win over Ireland, followed by a good win over Wales and the Pacific Islands. Then it was time for the Tri-Nations. South Africa had become used to going to Australia and New Zealand and being pumped by 20 points every year. But this year was different. The Wallabies and All Blacks narrowly beat South Africa this time round, which made for a nice change from what felt like had become the annual annihilations in Australasia. We then came home and completed a memorable win over the All Blacks at Ellis Park. Marius Hubert with a beautiful hat-trick. It meant that we had to beat Australia in our final game and we would be crowned Tri-Nations champions. We did exactly that and what a turnaround under Jake White. The good form and progress continued in 2005. South Africa beat the Wallabies twice in South Africa as well as in Perth in the Tri-Nations. A victory over the All Blacks also happened in Cape Town before going over there and even though we lost in Dunedin and quite late on too I might add, despite the defeat I actually think that is one of the best performances I've seen from the Springboks and certainly one of the best matches of rugby I've ever watched. It's just a pity that we were at the wrong end of the result. But as we all know, in South African sport, a crisis is never too far away. Enter 2006. There were some high-profile injuries which didn't help. Skulk Berger broke his neck, for example. Bucky Spurter was also missing. And there was some chopping and changing from White along the way. He was trying to find his ideal halfback combination. Fourie Dupria and Ricky January were playing at 9, with Jakub van der Westeisen, Andre Pretorius and Butch James coming in at 10 at various times. Not to mention the various experiments at number 4 in the absence of Buerta. So we lost to France in Cape Town, and then we got murdered by Australia in Brisbane 49-0. The box then lost by more respectable margins against the All Blacks and again the Wallabies before coming home and getting pumped in Pretoria by the New Zealanders. 45-26, and that meant five losses in a row. 
The Springboks did manage to edge the Kiwis the following week in Rustenburg and then beat the Wallabies in the final match of the Tri-Nations just to bring about some extra pride, restore it at least. But then things went wrong on the end of year tour. In a specially designed kit to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the team being known as the Springboks for the first time, or Der Springbokken, the Springboks were annihilated by Ireland 32-15 in Dublin. Ouch. The week thereafter, the Springboks were beaten by a weak England side at Twickenham, and Jake White was ordered back to Cape Town. Yes, he had to get on a plane and fly from London to the Cape, to provide answers. How close was White to being fired? It's difficult to say, but it couldn't have been too far away. White returned to London and South Africa won the second test against England. A year out from the Rugby World Cup and South Africa were probably outsiders for the title. But 2007 started better with two big 50-point wins over England and a good start to the Tri-Nations too by beating the Wallabies in Cape Town. After that, we lost to New Zealand in Durban, and then lost to the Aussies and Kiwis overseas. And then it was time for the Rugby World Cup, and we started beautifully by thumping Samoa 59-7, Brian Abana helping himself to four tries on that occasion. But then came the big one, a 36-0 annihilation of England at the Stade de France. It was possibly the most perfect performance we've ever seen from the Springboks, and a special mention here for Fouri Dupria. The scrum off played a flawless match. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it before or since. It was quite a, um, like a nervous, nerve-wracking build-up. I think that's my my first start, like my second start in a in a World Cup. And um, yeah, so it's obviously it was defending champions, um, not. If, I'm England, uh, 2003. So obviously, they talk about it. Um, they're not just, uh, or they're still the defending champions. And um, and we, the whole build-up was that uh, from 2004 when Jake took over, that this is going to be our match. That's going to that's going to tell us if we're going to win the World Cup or not. And I think everybody bought into it. And I think we, like you said, I think it was close to a perfect performance we could have done as a as a Springbok team. I think no one expected it, but. Uh... Yeah, the guys played really well. I think I, I only got about three or four minutes at the end there, but to sit on the side and just see the guys perform that well um, was really was really special and obviously, you know, gives you a lot of confidence going forward in an occasion like a World Cup. Um, so I think that really, uh, you know, put the benchmark in the way we wanted to play and how we wanted to play. And I think that obviously gave us, uh, you know, a big chance going forward in, in being one of the favourites. And thankfully, we managed to do that. And I'm happy to say it here. England were lucky to get nil that night. Suddenly, South Africa were one of the favourites for the title. Although you wouldn't have known it from our win over Tonga. White made wholesale changes and the box struggled to victory. The Tongans pushed us so hard that White made a decision early in the second half to empty his bench. On came big hitters like Victor Matfield, John Smith, Brian Abana and Percy Montgomery. We got the victory, but many would have forgotten that but for a nasty bounce of the ball, Tonga may have scored another try right at the end, and who knows if they would have converted it for a famous upset victory over the box. You know, the Island boys, when they, when they get up and they get a sniff of, of blood, then they really come at you. On the day, my boot was also left in the change room. I don't think I could have hit water if I fell out of a boat, so that didn't help. Couldn't 
couldn't uh, keep the pressure on them, and they just kept coming at us. And at one stage, there was a kick forward, and it that that stayed in. I think we would have lost that game. And that's the margins in international rugby, and that's why mindset comes into it. Because all it was is, I think they were a bit better prepared mentally than we were in terms of what to expect. We were expecting them to go away if we started putting pressure on them, and they just never went away. I think uh, Jake made a, a lot of changes. I think, um, and I think that was the one game where he felt he could do that. And and Jake is never a guy that that picks. He doesn't pick his best 15. So I think he, from his point of view, probably took a bit of a, a chance there. But I think it was still a good Springbok team. I think we were just probably um, not that good on the day. Uh, it was really close. A bounce of the ball at the end of the game could have easily gone Tonga's way and changed a little bit, uh, you know, changed uh, the perspective of the rest of the tournament a little bit. So I think it was a bit nerve-wracking for everyone. But um, but I think also because he beat um, England 36-0, um, you know, you can get, like we said, you had a lot of confidence going forward, but that was maybe a little bit of the eye-opening we needed, that this is a World Cup. If you lose a game, you're out of it. So I think that was a bit of an eye-opener. And then again, Fiji in the quarterfinals was just as close as well. So, um, so yeah, I think we just probably let it slip a little bit. And then second half, a lot of the uh, senior guys came on and, and made a big impact as well. So, um, yeah, but definitely was a, was too close to comfort. Yeah, it's... Um... If you ask what the problem was, the problem was that we, we just won narrowly. So it, it was one of those games, again, like, you know, we spoke about the 99 Uruguay game. Um, we tried things, things didn't work. Uh, we had to win that game. Not that we were in a comfort zone. Um, there was a few guys that got opportunity to start in that test match. I was one of them, you know, starting in that game. And, and we had uh, Victor and all the other guys on the bench coming off, making sure that we've got those guys that, you know, coming, I think it was a case of, I wouldn't say we were overconfident, but, you know, you play Tonga, you should beat them. Uh, they actually played unbelievable rugby on that day. Opportunities they got, bounce of the ball, uh, favoured them. And, and it, it was, it was very close. 25 20, I think was the, was the final score, something like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a, a thing that you can put your finger on and say, this was the problem. We just ended up playing and, and scramble and defence and, and managed to save that test. Uh, but it wasn't easy. Um, you know, they again played out of their boots and, and, and put us under a lot of pressure. Uh, but if you look back at those games, uh, sometimes you need those games to, to mould a team. Do you really know your rugby? Do you always get your predictions right? Why not make some money then? Open an account right now with Tic Tac Bets and get up to 2,000 Rand and 20 spins with your first deposit. The link is appearing on your screen and I'll also put it in the description area. Please note that this is an affiliate link and I will make a little commission on it. Winners know when to stop. National Responsible Gambling Program, toll-free helpline 0800-006-008. No persons under the age of 18 years are permitted to gamble. Next match was against the United States of America. We promptly won 64-15, but perhaps the moment of the match was when their wing, a man born in Zimbabwe named Takudzwa Ngwenya, rounded Brian Abana to score a famous try. Next up was Fiji in the quarterfinals. Now the Springboks actually thought they were going to play Wales in the quarters, but the Fijians upset the Welsh in the final pool game to instead take their place, as it were, 
and so it was South Africa versus Fiji in Marseille. The Fijians actually pushed South Africa quite hard, similar to the way the Tongans did, and at one stage in the second half, the score was 20-20. The box tightened up their defense, also tightened up their structures, played a more direct version of rugby, and went on to win comfortably 37-20. That's the key when you're playing those Pacific Island sides. Don't throw the ball around, don't play loosey-goosey rugby. That just invites them and encourages them. Don't do that. Just keep it tight, play your game, bully them up front, and win. And next up was a semi-final against Argentina. But before all of that, there was trouble off the field. Franz Stein and Skalk Berger had been cited, and they had to appear in front of disciplinary committees. Team manager Zola Yeye took care of business, though. I laugh when I foreshadow, I think back about Francois one. Francois he, he was an interesting character, and he, he's got one of those uh, very special moments special rooms in my heart because he's such a humble and an emotional young guy. Very highly talented from Alwan North here in the Eastern Cape, if you didn't know about that. And then when he came in in 2006, I think he was run about 16 or 17. He's a big boy with a big boot, big heart, courageous, you know. And then he went to the World Cup in 2007, you know, a game-breaker. You know, a hybrid horse, you know, very, very good boy. Now, Francois, I got a note. Uh, they were looking for me in the hotel. I got this note to say that I have to, Francois must, a stage must go to a hearing for biting somebody. Yeah, biting somebody. And then I looked for Francois. I couldn't get all of him. I couldn't get all of him. Where is Francois? Looked all those rooms. Eventually, I got hold of him, knocked at the room, he was there. I said, Francois, uh, hey, it is. The, you've been cited for biting. He said in Afghans, Eke, yeah, yeah, He said, I was wearing a gum shield. How can I bite somebody with, with a gum shield? I said, yeah, I'm on the mat, sir. I said, <laughs> There's nothing I can say. You've been cited for biting. That's one of those <laughs> kind of uh, exciting moments. But we knew we'll be vindicated. Franza didn't bite that guy. He didn't bite that guy. You know, he had a gum. The evidence was there. You know, these guys wear gums now. I don't know whether the, the teeth can protrude through a gum and, and cause such a, a mark, you know, uh, you know, a visible mark. But we went to that one. But the biggest hearing was with Skullberger. That was a Skullberger hearing. That was where I had to go and and, and sit and, and also and organize and together with his father and together with the big guys, big business people in, 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 uh, in South Africa and our legal entity, Saru, and everybody else, and go and sit there because we were worried if they were going to ban him, he would have had major, major repercussions in our camp. Voskal Berger is such a talent and a very unique talent, and he had a special place in him, so wouldn't like to lose him. So we had to defend Sark. 
you know, at all costs. So when they, they sat down and uh, it's guys who come from Australia, comes from maybe Argentina or somewhere, you know, the Judea, you know, most, you know, court of law is not an easy thing, whether it's a hearing or not. You know, people come with with clauses and then the constitution and the dismary, you know, codes of conduct and all kind of things they juggle and just put in front of the boy. But uh, as luck would have it, and uh, he didn't, you know, kind of get the, the, the punishment that everybody was talking about that he'll end up missing out on him playing uh, on uh, at that World Cup. So those are some of the challenging moments. And uh, the press uh, with, with Carl Berger, you know, they had a field day, you know, they had a field day, you know, most when the press is after you, you know, even if you sneeze, they stay with you. They want you to collapse. Even if you collapse, they stay with you. They want you to be buried six feet under. Even if you are buried six feet under, they say you must be taken out to be tested, you know, try and get a DNA and check this guy is dead. He's, he's the one who's there. That's what was happening there. And then the question was, who else was there? Zola was there. What does Zola know about uh, legal? They forgot, you know, my first, you know, tertiary kind of subject, I attended the law school. I went to school did it at Forte. So I was comfortable with, uh, not necessarily I'm not a lawyer, but I was comfortable with legal matters. I used to go through all the cases and then used to do a lot of things. And an administrator also at work, I knew the issues when it came, the labor unions would bring issues. You have to look at the case study. You have to look at certain things, whether it's balance of probability, probability or, uh, or whether it's beyond reasonable doubt. So we went there. I was prepared, but I was quiet. And I had to calm, start, calm down. And then the lawyer they brought, you know, to, 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 to fight his case out. I was, I was very happy. He eventually stayed with us. He was not kicked out of the World Cup. On the field, the results of the quarterfinals all but handed the trophy to South Africa, in my opinion. A weak England, who remember we had beaten 36-0 in the pool stage, defeated Australia, a team that had regularly been a nemesis for us over the years. The All Blacks were also beaten in the quarterfinals, upset by the host nation France, who had also looked quite shaky in the tournament up until that point. Argentina, who were probably the second best team at the tournament that year and the tournament surprise package, it must be said, would be our semi-final opponents. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We, we when that, After the second loss, big team out, you know, the boys went, Right, this is the one. And if you go and look at it, the game against Fiji was also a close one because, you know, now we had a lot more to lose because there was something really great at the end of this of this tournament. So we we definitely had that. And we had a refocus session, actually. We sat down and said, listen, with them out doesn't mean we just get it. It just means that we, we've got um, other teams that we need to, we need to beat. I think we knew it's going to be a tough, no matter who you play in a, in a playoff match, no matter who you play, it's going to be tough uh, and you've got to be at your best. And I, mean, I think we saw that against Fiji. Obviously, New Zealand going down was a massive shock um, you now against France. But uh, but yeah, I think we, we had confidence the whole time that we had the group that can go all the way. And I think things slowly as the, the competition progressed sort of tilted towards our way with New Zealand going out and 
and uh, the the teams we were facing in the quarter semis and uh, and uh, then later on in the final. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was just meant to be for for our group. And and I must say, it was a special generation of Springbok players that uh, that year. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? You can click on my Patreon link, I'll put it on the screen as well as in the description box, and there will be great benefits for members. Los Pumas were having their best ever World Cup. After taking out France in the opening game, they also beat Ireland to top their pool for the first time ever. They saw Scotland in the quarterfinals and would next face the Springboks. However, the box dealt with the Argentines in clinical fashion. Brian Abana scored two tries as the Springboks won 37-13. They were no match for the men in green and gold, who entered the final as the favourites despite what coach Jake White tried to portray in the media. In fact, every other day White was in the press pointing out that England were the favourites for the Rugby World Cup final. White's argument was that England were the defending champions and with that experience that made them the favourites for the final. But it's very difficult to take that seriously, especially from a South African point of view. The Springboks had beaten England at Twickenham the year before. They had put 50 points past the English twice earlier in the year. And of course, there was that 36-0 annihilation in the pool stage. The Springboks were the favourites for that final, despite what White was saying. I think it was a strange one because, like you said, you just beat uh, England 36-0. And, and clearly, in your mind, you know, you should be the favourites. You be, just beat them. But then I think Jake was really good with the way he handled the, the press. And he still does today. He's, he's still very good at it. Um, and then you've also got to remember they had a guy called Johnny Wilkinson who's been there, who's done that. He's won a World Cup for them. Um, he's been a, one of the best players in, in rugby union for a long time. So... Um, they still had a really good good team, and uh, I mean, a, a final anything can go your way. I think pressure is part of the game. Um, I think uh, it was there. I think the whole build up. I think um, coming into the final, I think everybody in South Africa uh, was texting us and sending us a message, and um, envelopes are coming in from people sending us letters and wishing us well. The president came, the minister of sport came, so the whole week was a bit of crazy build up. But the nice thing about that group was we had, it's, it's such a belief in that group um, and with such a composer and we got a, and we all got a, a goal in our mind and we want to win the World Cup. And I think there was nothing that could have distracted us because if you look before, I can, if I, I can see it like yesterday, sitting in the change room, before we run out to the field, you can just look in the guy's eyes that everybody's locked in and, uh, and there was one, one mission and one goal only just to win the World Cup. And I can even say before we run out to the field, we're going to win the World Cup. Yes, it is true that England had recovered since that 36-0 defeat. They beat Australia in the quarterfinals, and I think it's fair to say that that was an unexpected victory. And then they beat the host nation in the semi-finals, so they had earned their place there, it must be said. But the Springboks overpowered England in every department in that final. The final score was 15-6, and to be quite frank, the Springbok could easily have won 25-6 or even 35-6 that night. It was a comfortable victory despite the nine-point margin indicating that maybe it was a little bit closer. England might feel a little bit aggrieved because Marqueto had actually scored a try, but if you look at the television replays with an objective eye, you'll actually see that his foot was in touch, so it was never a try. I also believe that if the try had been awarded, the Springboks would have moved up a gear and probably scored a try or two of their own. And so, for the second time in history, South Africa were the Rugby World Champions.
And so was Osterrand, a man who had won the World Cup in 1995 and thus becoming the first man to win the trophy twice. And while he was the oldest man to do so, JP Peterson was one of the younger members. The, the one thing I can tell you, I think the whole 23 team can say, was we were just relieved. I think it was just pressure. It's like a big fridge just falling off your, off your back. I'm just relieved that we did the job because the whole build-up is that amount. Like you said, we were favourites and everything. So that was just more of my first reaction was relief. And obviously when you go into the change room and you, you see actually the trophy, all the trophy, and you can see the joy uh, in everybody's face because we sacrificed a lot for that, um, for that trophy. And, uh, and the first time you see Jake smile, and, uh, that's a good thing. Huh? <laughs> it's surreal. You know, at the end of the day, it's like you celebrate and, and you're so happy and you've won this thing. It's, it's something that happens every four years. You know, it's not like you missed out the next year, you're going to have another go. You have to wait four years again. So for us to win that World Cup final was unbelievable. I, I think. It was it's my, most probably the only time I didn't sleep at all that whole night. You know, they was partying the whole night and everyone's drinking and going crazy about this World Cup. And we had all the guys afterwards in, in at the hotel getting together and celebrating. And yeah, unbelievable. You actually don't want to go to bed because you've just won this massive trophy and that happens every four years since the World Cup. And it's a special moment for all of us. And yeah, it was surreal for me. But, um, if you look back now and you look at all the work that's been put in and how difficult, difficult it is actually is to win a World Cup. You know, you go through that quarterfinal, semifinal, final, which is three big teams you have to play in and you have to beat them. Uh, it's just unbelievable to think that, uh, you know, we've done it and we've done it a couple of times now as South Africa. I must be honest, as special as it is to win the Rugby World Cup, and it always is, let me be very clear, I just felt that the 2007 victory was not quite as memorable as the 1995 triumph. And I think the reason for that is because in 95, we were very much the underdogs. Yes, we were part of a secondary group that was considered contenders for the title, but we were not the outright favourites. Maybe at the beginning of the 07 World Cup, we were not the outright favourites, but once Australia and New Zealand had been eliminated in the quarterfinals, it almost felt like it would be a procession. There was no way that England were going to beat us in that 07 final. For what it's worth, I cried when we won the World Cup in 1995, but I didn't cry in 2007. Just to be clear, that's not to take away from the incredible achievement. Winning the World Cup is special and it should always be celebrated. And it was. There were bus parades in every city in South Africa to celebrate the Springboks' magnificent achievement and from a personal point of view, I was very lucky to get to be on the bus in Cape Town and experience it from the players' point of view. It was very, very special. In 1995, Nelson Mandela famously wore Francois Pinar's number six jersey. In 2007, President Thabo Mbeki was not in a Springbok jersey, but he was wearing a Springbok bomber jacket. And the French president, Nicolas Sarkozy, in a very, very nice touch, asked Mbeki to hand the trophy over to John Smith. I thought that that was a really, really good touch on the part of Sarkozy. And then the players, without telling President Mbeki, and importantly his security detail, decided to lift the president up in the air on their shoulders. President Mbeki had a few choice words for the players later when they visited him. President Mbeki didn't know. Remember, he's got his, his, his security protocol and then all that stuff. It was a security detail he goes with. And then I sat on the, I was stood on that side and Ashwin stood on, were in the front. 
and then the trophy when John, John Smith lifted the trophy, trophy, and then they, he, he gave the trophy to President Baker, and then we just lifted him high, and we could see he was panicking. He thought maybe there was something, uh, you know, untoward what, what was happening. We never told him what he wanted to do. We we're very naughty, but it, it, our naughtiness was very sweet, based on the excitement that was there. He accepted it. I remember when we arrived back, when he, he invited us to Mashamandovu at the Union Building. And uh, when he arrived with the team, he said, there are two guys I, I want to discipline. You know, how can they lift it? <laughs> oh, man, so high. And then <laughs> it was quite quite a sweet thing. It was a sweet thing, momentous thing. And uh, it's in the, in the archives of history now. The pictures are there to tell. That sweet moment that politicians, administrators, sports people enjoy it. All of us, we ate from the same dish, we sang the same from the same in book, you know, we drank from the same pond. See you next time.